Hi, I'm Alicia Lockhart. And I'm LaDonna Humphrey. Welcome to Deep Dark Secrets, a podcast that shines a light in some very dark places. And today we're going to cover a topic that surrounds a question that Alicia and I are constantly asked from listeners. And sometimes we even ask ourselves, how does someone wind up with a death fetish and where does it start? I believe this is really important if we want to stop these websites and videos from being made because we need to understand where these guys are getting these fantasies in the first place. As you scroll through the forums, you'll see that the members are fairly open about what their experience has been as a person with these fantasies. And finding true crime magazines or detective magazines somewhere in the home as a child seems to be cited as the aha moment or an origin recognition of the fetish for these people. So for those of you that don't know, detective magazines are sensationalized, true crime with stories of rape and torture, and they are rife with sexually violent imagery. So you can imagine why a death finisher would like them. I have just being honest, they're pretty awful. And there's a magazine entitled True Detective Mysteries, and it's quite popular among the fetishers. Go figure. Yeah, so buckle up, everybody, for a little history lesson, because True Detective Mysteries was like the first magazine of this sort, and it was actually founded in 1924 by Bernard McFadden. And initially, it was a magazine that was just really focusing on like mystery fiction, and it would sort of sprinkle in some nonfiction crime stories. So it started out pretty normal. But in the 1930s, the publisher realized that the nonfiction pieces, like the true crime pieces, were more popular than the fiction pieces. And that doesn't surprise me because even this day and age, we see true crime is a really popular topic. People want to read about things that are really happening out in the world. Yeah, so that's why people listen to our podcast. We're a true crime podcast. We're talking about what's really happening in the world of death fetish. Yeah. So these magazines started out fine. They were true detective mysteries and they became sort of a true crime magazine. So fast forward to 1941, so it's 20 years later, they changed the name to just True Detective. And that was sort of to nod to their move away from the mystery fiction. And they were doing really, really good. They started selling 2 million copies per month. So their success was staggering. And then it inspired a lot of imitators. I wonder about these imitators, if they were also... Death fetishers. I've wondered about that. I think other people, too, just like, oh, let's get on the bandwagon. This is an untapped market. Let's start making more of these publications. So there were about 200 other magazines that came up around this time, like Inside Detective, Startling Detective, New Detective, Complete Detective. It seems like it was like really important to have the word detective in the title so that people would know that it was kind of close to true detective. Yeah, trying to keep it similar. Advertisers and product creators do that to this very day. So you will pick something up and maybe confuse it for something else or think it's going to be as good as something else. And maybe it is. I'm not suggesting that it's not, but that's pretty common. I think that's interesting that they did that with these magazines, though. Yeah, and a lot of people would read many different brands of it, but most people agreed that True Detective was sort of still the top in terms of quality 
for these kinds of publications. And you have to remember, we're still like, you know, back in the 1940s where it's just a straight true crime magazine, basically. But this interesting thing started to happen as time went on. Around the 1960s, the style of the magazine started to change. And it kind of goes in line with what was happening in the world, too. It's like there were some loosening public morals going on in the 60s. So these magazines, the True Detective magazines, started having photo shoots of women that they would put mixed in with the crime stories. And the women were scantily dressed and they were being scared by people in masks or people with guns. And the headlines started to change as well. Even the stories in the magazine started to change. They became more focused on sex, more focused on rape and kidnapping. So this magazine that had been trucking along very popularly for many, many years takes this weird turn in the 60s. And it just goes out of control by the 1970s and then far into the 80s it's just like people describe it as a thinly disguised bondage magazine for whatever reason they remained quite popular and still accessible at drugstores you could just pick up a copy at your local drugstore that's crazy to me because it's basically softcore porn with a twist of violence and to be able to pick it up at a drugstore i can't imagine walking into walgreens and like oh well there's my uh true detective that is crazy yeah it had really gotten so popular and then it got really smutty and scandalous and disgusting quite frankly by the 1980s it was sort of petering out by that time there were only 11 true crime detective magazines that were still printing regularly and there were some switches of hands in publishers then in 1995 true detective was bought by a company called globe communications and they just went ahead and shut it all down said bye-bye i wonder if globe communications just hated the magazine so much they were like i'm gonna buy this get rid of it that's possible. People do that. You see that happen with companies a lot, but the magazine needed to go. I mean, it was really this slippery slope downward anyway. Well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull a Globe Communications, and when I'm rich, I'm going to buy all the death fetish forums and shut them down. We're going to buy the internet, Alicia. I think we should. Me too, and then we can control what these fetishers are doing. We'll get rid of all of them. That's my vote. You know they're going to go run and tweet this. LaDonna Humphrey just said on the podcast she was going to buy the internet. Does she not realize she can't really do that? Yes, I realize. It's called humor. Yeah, they don't understand us. That's fine, though. I don't need them to. So these magazines had a fair run. I mean, if you really think about it, 1924 all the way through 1995, that's a legitimate time span. And it's a little disturbing to know how popular they were and how popular they actually still are. After the American version of the magazine shut down, there were some British publishers who continued to create True Detective magazine with a bit of a different format, but they kind of took it back a bit to Australian, European, and historical crimes. And that's not really the version of the magazine that we're concerned with or that the death fetish forum predators are interested in. It's more so that from the 60s through the 90s version of True Detective. And it astounds me, but if you go look on eBay, 
you can still find people buying and selling those magazines. They're like a hot item still. And there's even a site, the Internet Archive website, that has a huge amount of these magazines that you can just look through the whole thing. And so I did look through a few of them because I wanted to see how in alignment they were with Death Fetish. And it's pretty bad. It's the perfect magazine if you have a death fantasy issue. Something that I really found profound about the magazines when I was looking through them, it would be like a crime story, a true crime story. And then right on the next page, there would be Viagra advertisements. So there was this constant juxtaposition in these magazines of death and sex paired up quite literally next to each other. And that's so disgusting. And can you imagine how confusing that would be for a young boy? Yeah, it really sends a message like, hey, link these two things together. And little kids don't need that message. Yeah, it's awful. Ladonna, I popped up a picture here for you that just shows a bunch of the covers that I found when I was researching. And this will be on our Patreon, too, for people to look at. Can you see it there? Yes. Yes. This is really shocking stuff. I had seen maybe one or two just in my research, but I actually hadn't seen any of these that you're showing me. And I'm shocked. I mean, this is very, very sexual. It's very, very violent. I'm looking at one that says, cancel the orgy book them in the morgue. I'm just, it's very disgusting. There's one here that's, um, it's called Detective Cases and it shows this girl tied up and she's wincing in pain and it says, go-go dancer slashed to death in motel shower. There's another one here I'm looking at. It's a woman, her breasts are just about to hang out of her shirt. She's, it looks like her shirt's been ripped. A man's holding a knife to her throat and it says sex crazed freeway strangler. Although he's holding a knife to her throat. It's disgusting. Or another one that says, Savage Blows snuffed the pretty go-go dancer. Like, these are not true crime magazines. This is death fetish pornography. Absolutely. And this is things that you could easily have picked up in your drugstore, as Alicia mentioned earlier. Or as we have read about with many of the fetishers, they found these types of magazines inside their own homes. Because their dad or their grandfather or their brother or somebody in the home was purchasing them and looking at them. Yeah, we see that in the forums over and over again. When I was little, I found this magazine and it really brought up something inside of me for the first time. I felt something. And, you know, what they're feeling is sexual desire. And I want to talk a little bit about that because the question that you mentioned in the beginning of the episode where people are asking, how does this happen? I don't think it's super clear how it happens. It seems like what your body responds to sexually, we don't always feel like we have control over that. And so for some of these people to be exposed to content like this, where it's like, I just happened to stumble upon death fetish pornography under my dad's bed, And it really did something for me. And then I knew that that was what I was looking for sexually. So it's hard to answer that question when a seven or eight year old boy finds that magazine, why it's arousing. I mean, it could just be that there's a naked woman in it, or it could be programming them right there in the moment to think this is how naked women should be. These are the situations you should put a naked woman in. Well, that's what I was actually about to say is I can see a a young boy picking this up and being 
curious and perhaps sexually aroused by the images of the women, but then their brain's starting to become almost rewired and putting the pain and the suffering and death with this feel-good thing of, oh, I'm attracted to this naked woman. And so I think that that could very well be what happens is that their little brain, their young brain has starting to pair those things together. And they think that 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 that's the way it's supposed to be because nobody's had that conversation with them. You know, they found this magazine maybe in secret or they bought it sneakily at the drugstore or whatever. And it's just kind of wired them to think a certain way. And then it's game over. They're a full blown fetisher before it's all said and done. It's crazy too, because there's some people who can pick it up and look at it and that doesn't happen too. So it's just so fragile. The human mind, you can't account for what it might do when it's exposed to something like this. Absolutely. That's exactly right. You don't know who's going to react to it. And what that's going to mean for them down the road. And so having this around or in existence, I think is pretty dangerous. And I don't say that lightly, but we have read over and over and over and over again in these forums how much these magazines contributed to these very depraved fetishers that are posting these horrific stories and photos and videos online. Yeah, I think we have to mention this because it's so prevalent in the threads, in the forums where people are talking about when they first discovered that they had these fantasies. Detective magazines are mentioned by more than half of them. I think it's also important to point out that there have been multiple serial killers who reference these magazines as a source of inspiration, too. For example, Ted Bundy, the serial killer with 30 plus victims. He described how he became addicted as a boy to detective magazines because of the covers showing terrified, busty females in little clothing being tied up or bound. He's been so vocal about that with people about how violent pornography has impacted him or influenced him. And I actually didn't realize that he started out looking at detective magazines. And I've done a lot of research into him mainly just about the things that he said while he was on death row right before he was executed about violent pornography so this was very interesting to me and I learned something new as we're putting this episode together so I think that that's really important there's another serial killer his name was Harvey Murray Glattman and he was known as the lonely hearts killer and the glamour girl slayer and he was a serial killer that was active in the late 1950s And he pretended to be a detective mag photographer so he could lure these women with the promise of a modeling career. Sound familiar? Sounds familiar. (laughs) So he created his own cover photos of bound women. And I just think that that's disgusting. That is sick that he was murdering women and then after the fact, taking the pictures he had taken of them when he pretended he was a photographer and like turning them into a cover photo that's so gross and that reminds me of carl coleman and if you have not picked up a copy of our book strangled we talk about him specifically in the videos that he's making and i see a parallel there so anybody that's interested i'm gonna plug the book i think that that's an interesting thing to read about so it's available on amazon if you want to pick it up but yeah uh, and that book is about a lot of things. It's about death fetish. It's about Melissa Witt. It's about Melissa Trotter. It's also about my experience with a death fetish producer that will call Carl Coleman. Yeah, definitely check it out if you get a chance. 
Another serial killer was Dennis Rader. He was the BTK killer, and he has said that he found detective magazines under the driver's seat of his father's car. Naughty, naughty, daddy. And one day he spotted a 1959 issue of Front Page Detective, and he grabbed it to look at the cover, and it showed a terrified woman. Of course, she was bound and gagged. And the feature story was the sex-crazed photographer and his graveyard of models. And it was about Harvey Glattman, who we just talked about. And Radar had taken this magazine out to the shed to read as he performed self-asphyxiation, which is extremely creepy. And he reported that that was the greatest sexual rush he'd ever had. So he started acting out these murder fantasies that he had uh, beginning in about 1974, and it continued until 1991. And whenever he got into the murder mood, so to speak, he would go look at these magazines. He got all of these ideas from these detective magazines. And I think it's important to note that all of these serial killers that we're mentioning here, we didn't say, oh, I bet they did this. They themselves said, here's where I got my ideas from the detective magazines. Exactly. And there's another one, believe it or not. His name was Melvin David Reese, and he was an American serial killer. He committed five murders in Virginia and Maryland between 1957 and 1959. and sexually assaulted, in that order, Margaret Harold, the girlfriend of a U.S. Army soldier. And there was a man who had seen the murder, and he called authorities. So authorities show up, and they search the area. And they come across this abandoned cinder block, like, constructed building with a basement window that had been broken into. So they get inside, and investigators discover a collection of violent pornographic images and autopsy photos of female corpses that were taped all over the walls. This is just like a death fetish haven down there. And Melvin had already left, so he'd taken off. And the murder was a cold case. Okay, but this was like his death fetish haven. So creepy. And then two years later, he goes on to kill again. He murdered four members of the Jackson family. After his conviction for those killings, he confessed to two more murders. This guy was just a serial killer through and through, and authorities believed he might have even been involved in two more. And believe it or not, prior to his arrest and imprisonment, he was actually a prominent jazz musician in the Washington, D.C. area. And I add that little portion because we always talk about this in all of our episodes that you can't pick out a finisher. And I don't think anybody would have guessed that a prominent jazz musician was not only a death finisher, but also a serial killer. This guy, he is really popular. He's a great musician. People go see him. They have no idea when they're looking at him that he has an abandoned cinder block building with a bunch of pictures of morgue females taped up all over the walls. It's just disgusting. Yes, and he blames. He actually blamed the detective magazines and admitted he had read them compulsively. He just loved them. And so between their images of tortured women and the meth he'd take, he was obsessed with forcing women to do whatever he wanted. He was just a really, really bad guy, but he did blame it on detective magazines. So there's another case. Shockingly, we're not done. There are more serial killers who have spoken about detective magazines. 
John Jubert is another one. He was enlisted in the Air Force and he murdered two boys in Nebraska. He gagged them, stabbed them, and he bit them and bound them up with rope. Thankfully, he was apprehended when he was looking for his third victim, but he talked about detective magazines, too. He had actually been drawing his own renditions of his fantasies about what he had done to those boys. And he said he had been thinking about murder as long as he could remember at a very young age and that he was very inspired by detective magazines. And he said that the detective magazines taught him how to avoid being caught which I think is kind of funny since he did get caught. They obviously didn't teach him very well. Dumb fetishers. Lastly, there was one final serial killer I could find who did speak about detective magazines. He was giving an interview. He wished to remain unnamed, but he said this, quote, even something as innocuous as a horror movie can have more impact than nonviolent porn if it objectifies and dehumanizes women in violent scenarios. Detective magazines can open the primitive door, and some people are vulnerable. I think that's really, really telling because not only do these forums, these guys in these forums talk about the detective magazines, they also talk about a lot of the gateway for them were some of these more violent horror movies. I think that's interesting. And I'm not trying to start a whole debate about horror movies. Even I watch horror movies. But I do think it's interesting that if you're already predisposed for these types of things, that that could be a trigger. And we read about that. We know that that's correct because we've seen dozens and dozens of men talk about it in these forums. Well, yeah, it's just it's tricky because we're not trying to be so extreme as to say horror movies shouldn't exist. They make death fetishers. But we know that death fetishers have something happen in their brain when they're watching a woman in a violent scenario. And so I think that people who are making horror films do have a responsibility to not have that be such a focus in the movie. Like maybe there is some violent act, but it doesn't need to be drawn out in the movie. It doesn't need to be filmed for so long. But even though it's not there in horror films, that's what these death fetish producers are doing. They're taking what should be a 30-second clip in an hour-and-a-half movie, and they're making that a whole hour movie. And they're obsessing about the things that most people don't do, the murder, the rape, the torture of women. And so it's just anything that points to murder and rape and torture and all of those things are the things that fetishers love. And that's why these magazines and these forums and all the things that we're covering on this podcast are so important for us to talk about because we really do believe that that's what's causing these people to go on and kill real women. And as an example, we just gave you several serial killers that said, hey, this did lead me down this path. Yeah, it influenced them. And you might argue, yes, there was a predisposition there. And that could be true. But there's no denying that there's an influence there and that this is an inspiration to them. And I think that that's alarming. And we need to make sure that we aren't creating content like this that's inspiring people to go out and murder. And going back to the horror movie thing, I wanted to mention there is a member of the death fetish community. He goes by Nightfall. And he 
has this website. Is it Cinemorg? Am I remembering that right? Yeah, that's correct. So what this loser does, he spends all his time going through horror movies and pausing the movie where a violent act towards a woman occurs and recording just that clip. And then he shares all the death scenes of women and like categorizes them like here's the link for all the hangings. And then it will show the horror movies that show a woman getting hung and you can just go there to Cinemorg and watch the little 30 second clips so that you don't have to bother yourself with the whole horror movie. It's absolutely disgusting. And he does talk about it nonstop in the forums, at least one of the forums. And it's really disturbing to me because he's taking something to an absolute extreme and using it to propel other people deeper into this idea that it's okay to rape, torture, murder women. And I just think these kind of things have to go. But I don't particularly like Nightfall. You mentioned him and it it sort of uh, dredged up bad feelings for me because of the things that he says and does in the forums, Alicia. Yeah, I'm not so convinced that he's actually who he says he is. I have my suspicions about who Nightfall might actually be. Oh, do you want to tell me who? Well, I I won't say it because I'm not confident and I'm tired of them making fun of us, but I'll just leave it at that. I don't think Nightfall is who he is pretending to be. Oh, I think we need to put that on our to-do list. Let's get laser focused on Nightfall and figure out who he is. We're coming for you, buddy. Got our eyes set on you. Well, I think that this has probably given everyone a lot to think about. I would love to hear from some of our listeners if you've ever seen these magazines anywhere. Because me personally, I did not know they existed until we started researching Death Fetish. But it seems so common in the forums that people are saying, oh, yeah, my parents had these magazines in our house. So I would love to hear from our listeners. Did you ever see these growing up? Is this a normal thing? I don't I don't know, but I'd like to know. And I think we'll just kind of wrap up with that uh, request. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have an extra minute of time here, we would love you to go to our website, deepdarksecretspodcast.com and help us out by signing our petition to make stronger enforcement of federal obscenity laws. So go to our website, click on the advocacy tab, and scroll down to the center of the page. You'll be able to find the link there for our petition. Thank you so much in advance for doing that for us, and we will see you next Monday. That's right, everybody. Stay tuned for our next episode next Monday. Until then, stay safe and keep your lights on. For exclusive content from this episode and all other episodes, head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com backslash deep dark secrets. Sign up and you'll be able to see some visuals that accompany each episode.